Ukraine had to have a concrete plan of how Ukraine sees the end of this war. And Ukraine has it. The fact that right now it's impossible to implement, that's the main question. Now Ukraine is trying to promote this plan and get more countries on board with the Ukrainian way of ending this war. How was the plan received by Ukraine's allies? We see that more and more people in different countries think that Ukraine should be supported less or that the West should pressure Ukraine into peace talks. And I think that's where the danger for Ukraine is. The problem here is that Russia was able to sell this kind of notion that it actually wants peace, but it's Ukraine that's unwilling to negotiate. Hi everyone, and welcome to This Week in Ukraine, a show where the newsroom of the Kiev Independent dives into Ukraine's biggest events of the week and explains them in just 30 minutes. I'm your host, Masha Lavrova. Today, the Kiev Independent Deputy Chief Editor Alexei Sorokin joins me to discuss Ukraine's peace formula. Is Russia actually ready for peace talks? What are those signals that Russia's dictator Vladimir Putin has been sending? And also, what are the odds of Ukraine peace talks moving past talking? Lyosha, we're really happy to have you here. Thank you for having me. Before we go on, I would like to remind you guys to subscribe to The Cave Independent wherever you're listening or watching to this podcast. Make sure to like us, rate us, and write comments. It will only take you a few seconds, but it really does go a long way for us. We really appreciate your support so we can continue ensuring that the world knows on what's happening in Ukraine. Okay, Alexei. President of Ukraine Volodymyr Zelensky announced peace formula and presented it at G20 summit back in November 2022. I know that the peace formula consists of 10-point plan. Could you take us through that, please? Yeah, so basically what happened is Ukraine needed a plan to end the war, right? And the plan is pretty simple. The main points there are that Russia needs to get out of Ukraine. Ukraine wants to restore its original borders of 1991. There's also a point saying that Russia needs to pay for the damages. Russia needs to be held accountable for war crimes and other stuff, right? Return the prisoners, right? Return of uh, prisoners. There should be an official end to the war. So it's a pretty simple document that's pretty impossible to actually implement. But a nice one. <laughs> yeah, we like the document. I like the 10-piece part of it, but... Yeah, no, the thing about the document is that obviously for Ukraine not to be attacked from both sides, right, from the West, from those countries that don't support Ukraine right now, Ukraine had to have a concrete plan of how Ukraine sees the end of this war. And Ukraine has it. The fact that right now it's impossible to implement, that's the main question, right? But Ukraine has a plan that most of Ukrainians support. We know there's regular opinion polls about it. And most people in Ukraine say that Ukraine needs to continue fighting till it restores its original borders. So that's a plan that's definitely supported across the aisle uh, by opposition, by the government, and so on. And right now, Ukraine is trying to promote this plan and get more countries on board with the Ukrainian way of ending this war. How was the plan received by Ukraine's allies? So there was several meetings with Ukrainian officials about this peace plan. Most of them are attended by Ukrainian allies, Western countries, NATO member states, right? So everybody who supports Ukraine with weapons financially, they obviously support this plan. The problem is getting countries that don't support Ukraine or that are trying to be neutral uh, on board, right? So 
The, the prize is to get China on board. China attended one of the four meetings on the Ukraine peace formula. It didn't go anywhere, but Ukraine is trying to broaden the scope of countries that support actually the Ukrainian way of ending this war. And I think recently Yermak said that there's more and more countries that join this plan. And I think that can be considered a victory for Ukraine. I think that's where the last meeting that just happened on January 14th comes in, in Switzerland. It, wasn't there a lot more countries than the previous meeting in Malta? Yeah, so there's, I, I think there was around 66 countries that were present in, in Switzerland on this meeting. Obviously, the goal is to get all the big guys in the room, to get India, China. Global South. Uh, the Global South, right? Brazil, South Africa. Some of those countries attended several meetings, for example, one of the meetings was in Jeddah in Saudi Arabia, which was attended by Saudi representatives. It was attended by Chinese representatives as well. So that was kind of also a major victory for Ukraine in this sense. But right now, Ukraine tries to maintain kind of the momentum, right? And tries to make sure that all the countries continue talking about this peace formula and they get accustomed to the fact that this war will end when Ukraine restores its official borders. Yeah, so I guess getting other countries used to the idea that the war can end only when Russian forces are out of Ukraine and, you know, there's actually peace agreements in place and protection for future in place. Yeah, that's the plan. There's obviously Ukraine had to throw in several points about ecology, about preventing disasters, about preventing nuclear other form, escalation. nuclear escalation, right? So all of those points are set to bring more and more countries on board, right? Because when you talk about restoring the borders of a country, China may be kind of indifferent, but when you talk about nuclear safety, for example, or preventing ecocide or that kind of stuff, then obviously you can draw more countries in with those points, right? Because they have to go hand in hand with Ukraine restoring access to the regions that are affected by war. For example, Ukraine's south, which is occupied, is uh, a na natural disaster zone right now after the blowing up of the Kachovka Dam. I know that Russia wasn't invited or just present at that meeting, but for the peace negotiation, we would need Russia to be present. So is there a point of having these meetings without Russia? Well, contrary to some media outlets that said that Ukraine wants to start peace talks with Russia, the point of those meetings is not to actually start peace talks with Russia. The point of those meetings is to get more countries in support of the Ukrainian way of ending this war, right? Nobody believes that Russia will be invited right now and says, yeah, okay, f sure, we, we are on board with on the whole 10 points on the whole 10 points we're leaving ukraine we made a mistake and so on right so there's no peace talks in place and i don't think i don't see any possibility of peace talks starting in the near future but ukraine has to have a base of what it wants from those peace talks and has to be backed not only by the countries that support ukraine from day one but it also needs to be backed by countries that are pretty influential and they can push the needle to actually force Russia to start negotiations in some kind of long-term future. Like China? Like China. Okay. Like that's the country that 
Ukraine is aiming for. And currently, we don't have any signals that China is willing to start helping Ukraine force Russia to talk, right? China actually had its own peace talks proposition back in, I think it was early 2023. But obviously, those, uh, it was 12 points that China presented. They were a non-starter for Ukraine because basically what happened is that China wanted to freeze the conflict and say that, okay, just stop shooting and the war will end. And obviously Ukraine won't agree to this term because it means that a substantial chunk of Ukraine and a substantial number of Ukrainians would be still under Russian occupation. I know that Zelensky said multiple times that, you know, ceasefire and freezing of the conflict is like, we can't agree to that. Could you tell us why? The problem here is that the two sides right now are, have a completely different vision of how they want to end the war. And there's no possibility in reaching any kind of agreement. Ukraine obviously wants to restore its official internationally recognized borders. It wants to free its people because we saw what happened in Bucha. We saw what happened in other places under occupation. We know, we hear stories, we talk to people under occupation. It's brutal, right? Ukraine can't leave Ukrainian citizens under Russian rule. And Russia is all in in this war. Russia right now thinks it's winning the war. And Russia wants to continue this war and wants to gain more territories. And, and so when you have two parties that are completely far apart and there is no middle ground whatsoever, then obviously uh, if we say that, for example, there's a not peace talks, but like a truce, right? And Russia and Ukraine stop shooting for like I don't know, a week or something, then the war is not going to end. It's just going to be giving time to one of the two parties to regroup, to rethink their military strategies and start, yeah, to prepare and to launch a new offensive, right? That's what Russia was using multiple times back from since 2014 when... They failed Minsk agreements. Yeah. So basically what happened, if we go back to 2014 and everybody in Ukraine remembers that, is that so Russia started the war in Crimea, then Russia moved in in eastern Ukraine and Donetsk and Luhansk regions, then because they didn't send a huge number of the regular troops, right? They just provided financial support, financial support, guns, and so on. And then when the Ukrainian army started pushing the Russian militias out of eastern Ukraine, they moved in, they signed, they forced Ukraine to sign the first Minsk. And then when they saw that Ukraine is still weak, that they can push more. They forgot about the first Minsk agreement and they started the, the Baltsova operation, which cost hundreds of Ukrainian lives. And after that, Ukraine was forced to sign the second Minsk agreement and Russia was continuing to forcing Ukraine into concessions. And as we saw now, only waiting for Ukraine to get weaker or for Ukraine to destabilize to destabilize or lose focus. And then Russia launched a full-scale invasion. So all the agreements with Russia in the past 10 years were done for Russia to regroup and to think prepare. of a, to prepare and to think of a better strategy to try to conquer the entire of Ukraine, right? 
Wasn't one of the issues with Minsk agreements was that Russia would not take accountability in what's happening, them being kind of like, we have nothing to do with it? Yeah, so so one of the major issues is that everybody knew that Russia is at war with Ukraine. Russia occupied Crimea. Russia had shipped weapons and troops to eastern Ukraine, right, fighting against Ukrainian forces. But what it was able to do, it was forcing Ukraine to acknowledge that it's actually a civil war and that Russia is doing nothing to kind of destabilize Ukraine and Russia is just a mediator, is a it wants peace and so on, which was obviously Such a false. Country. Yeah, and unfortunately, a lot of Western countries actually bought that, right? They, they still were, do. I, I mean, I feel depends. like some some countries, or at least you know, some people a bit removed from what's happening in Ukraine, still have no clue that the war has been going for ten years and not just two years from full scale invasion. It seems like a surprise to many people when you say, "Well, Russia's been killing Ukrainians and you know, spiking the war for almost a decade." Yeah, and like you can see it if you if you look at different I don't know videos about the war in Ukraine, you can still see maps of Ukraine with Crimea kind of looking as a contested territory. Because, for example, if the con- the part of the country that's occupied by Russia in eastern Ukraine is obviously shown as Ukraine but occupied, then a lot of people still think that Crimea is contested and that that. Russia has some kind of claim on Crimea, which is obviously a non-starter for, for Ukraine and for anyone who, I don't know, knows laws and history, history and common sense. And, and, and so the, the problem here is that Russia was able to sell this kind of notion that it actually wants peace, but it's Ukraine that's unwilling to negotiate. It's Ukraine that's unwilling to become friendlier to Russia and just stop the war and stop pressuring the Russian speakers or and so on, which is completely false narrative that Russia invented and successfully sold to even the Western countries, right? That there is some kind of Russians that desperately wanted to be part of Russia, which is which is not true. We have even in the Kiev Independent, we have people from Donetsk, Luhansk, who who say that before Russia started the war, there was never any momentum for some kind of separatism or for or Russian views. In those regions, obviously, they were more friendly towards Russia. But yeah, they spoke Russian more. I mean, my family is also from Bakhmut area, and yeah. you know, we I grew up speaking Russian. My family spoke Russian, but there was never. But there's also people who speak in Ukrainian. There was never animosity between Ukrainians who spoke Ukrainian and Ukrainians who spoke Russian. I, I'm from Kiev. I was born and raised in Kiev. I speak Russian. And there wasn't, there was actually, and we spoke with some other people who, from Kiev who were born and raised in Ukrainian language. And it was actually harder for some with Ukrainian because most people in Kiev at that time spoke Russian, right? Absolutely. So uh, we're kind of moving past the, the peace talks subject. But the point here I'm trying to make is that Russia was always really good at turning the narrative turning spinning the narrative and showing itself as a country that actually doesn't want to fight wars but it's kind of forced to do it to save the poor ukrainians who just want to speak russian and be part of russia yeah to save poor ukrainians or to just oppose this evil west that's trying to i don't know subjugate ukraine or something And, and 
Unfortunately, we're seeing now in the past like half a year that Russia is trying to, with like mixed success, right? But with mixed results, trying to again promote this narrative that Russia actually wants peace talks. Russia actually wants to top, uh, stop this war, but it actually can because the evil West and the evil Ukrainian government is opposing basically friendly and peaceful relationships uh, with, with Russia. Yeah, well, I just actually wanted to ask you about that right now, because, you know, in December, there was this almost annual direct line forum with, where Putin answers totally not pre-chosen questions from Russians. And he just, as per usual, said his maximalist goals for Ukraine of demilitarization, denazification, blah, 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 all that stuff. And then, you know, just saying that goals remain unchanged for Ukraine. Like, we kind of want the same thing. We want Ukraine. But then right after this article comes out where they're saying that Putin is quietly sending signals through the back channels that he's ready for ceasefire and negotiation that, and yeah, just freezing of the fighting on current contact lines. So do you think he actually wants ceasefire in Ukraine? I th- we kind of mentioned that before, but like, what was that about? Well, the thing is, Putin may want a ceasefire, but he doesn't want a ceasefire to end the war and to end basically hostilities, right, with both Ukraine and the West. He may want a ceasefire to regroup, rethink the strategy, because obviously right now Russia occupies substantial parts of Ukraine. But if we're looking back at their initial goal of taking Kyiv in like a week or a month, then obviously they failed. And they definitely need a new strategy to, if they want to conquer the, the entire country, right? They need a new strategy. And for Russia, it would actually make sense to stop this war for, I don't know, half a year, a year maybe, to regroup, rethink military plans, to draft more people, to basically look at the mistakes they made in 2022, and then start everything over. With new intensity. Yeah, because... If that happens, if there's going to be a ceasefire, then obviously Ukraine will get less. Ukraine, because Western population will then say, okay, so there's a ceasefire. We don't need to spend. People are not dying. Yeah, people are not dying. We shouldn't spend our money on on Ukrainians that much, right? And that way, Russia will definitely get an upper hand. And I think people in the Kremlin understand that. So they may... I don't know if they're actually sending any signals that they're willing to negotiate, but if they do, then obviously their end goal is not to stop the war. It's to gain them some kind of upper hand in this conflict. It does seem like these mixed, vague signals from Kremlin about potential negotiations, potential peace talks that Russia is kind of quietly potentially open to. Seems like a just a way of redirecting Ukraine allies' attention from, you know, supporting Ukraine with the needed weapons and aids, because, you know, maybe they're hoping that the West will pressure Ukraine into those negotiations instead of focusing on actually supporting Ukraine with the weapons that Ukraine so desperately needs. Well, and the thing is, is that Russia knows that Ukraine won't agree to any ceasefire right now when 20% of the country is occupied, right? And so one other strategy of of Russia can be to basically show that it's Ukraine that doesn't want peace talks, right? Because if, for example, Russia would be able to persuade some countries in the West that Russia is ready to just like 
end the fight now and just remain on the on the lines that they're at right now in Ukraine and Ukraine says no then they're going to point a finger on Ukraine saying well yeah, Ukraine Ukraine's the bad guys they just want to fight we don't want to fight but like they're shooting at us we're going to shoot at them and so I spoke with multiple foreign officials of the record and, and different um, embassies and different ministries uh, had a, a lot of talks with, with, with foreign officials. And most of them, like 99% of those officials, they understand what Russia is trying to do. Like the biggest kind of notion is that Western officials are not stupid. That's a win for Ukraine, right? And the thing here is that they understand what Russia is doing, right? They have their own kind of vision of how to continue supporting Ukraine, right? And I disagree with some of them, but the fact that Russia doesn't want to stop the war, everybody across the aisle in different countries definitely understand that. And I don't think that Russia would be able to persuade officials that it wants peace talks. Maybe it will be easier for Russia, and that's what it's doing, to persuade the population of those countries that Russia is actually not the bad guy here. And we see that more and more people in different countries think that Ukraine should be supported less or that the West should pressure Ukraine into peace talks. And I think that's where the danger for Ukraine is at this moment, right? Because if Russia is going to be able to influence the majority of people in several key key countries, then it will be really, really bad for the Ukrainian cause. I mean, we also have seen Russia use, you know, ceasefire and green corridors as war tactics just in this full-scale invasion, right? When they suggested to have ceasefire and green corridors and then proceeded to shell them. That's the tactic of Russia uh, since day one, right? If we're talking about Ilovaisk and the Baltseva, the two biggest strategies in uh, in the war before 2022, then what happened is that Ukrainian troops got encircled. They were promised a green corridor to leave those places, right? And then they were shelled. And so, for example, Ilovaisk, what happened is most of Ukrainian troops that were killed in that battle they were killed not because of direct fighting, but because they were evacuating, they were allowed to do it, and then they were uh, shelled. So Russia is known for breaking its promises on ceasefire. No, but it's absolutely, especially with this Russia, it's impossible to reach any agreement because they don't have this notion that agreements have to be respected, right? For, for Europeans and for, for most civilized countries, right? If you sign some kind of agreement, you can, you have to basically respect it. respect it, right? You can then try to negotiate a new one, or if you don't agree with it, you can try to sue or something like that. But mostly like the whole world order right now consists of pieces of paper signed by two parties by which the two parties agree to uh, live basically, right? And if we don't respect those agreements, then the world order as we know it will just, I don't know, shatter, right? And Russia is one of the countries that doesn't respect any agreements. And so having any business ties, any other agreements with Russia is impossible because 
they won't respect it. They, they, will never, they will never respect any piece of paper they sign with you. But do you think there's any way of, you know, future peace talks and negotiations with Russia if they don't respect it? Is there a way to, I don't know, financially pressure them into respecting those agreements? You know, is that where China comes in? Well, again, if, if China was on board, then I would, I'm pretty sure that the war might be over because China has major influence on Russia, right? China is not on board. China won't support Ukraine. And if we're talking about the current situation, then with the current Russian government in place, with the current situation, there's absolutely zero chances that there's going to be any concrete peace talks and any agreements to end this war. This war will continue as long as the current Russian government is in place. So if that's a year, okay, if that's five years, then unfortunately that's what Ukraine is going to have to deal with because there is no way that Ukraine will be able to sign anything with Russia. One of the scenarios that people envision is that there's not going to be any agreement, but both sides run out of capacity to wage offensive operations, and then the front line would be stalled, and there would be just occasional shooting back and forth, but... Forever. Forever. For, for as long as the war will continue. So this is one of the possibilities, but Ukraine doesn't want a frozen conflict because that means that Ukraine will lose support in the sense that if Ukraine is not losing or winning, there's no need to support Ukraine. There is no need to support Ukraine. And those Ukrainians are still stuck in the occupied territories. Yeah. So we're back to square one. Yeah. So th- there is. So this reality is even grimmer than the, just the lack of possibility of peace negotiations in the you know closest future. Yeah. No. So th- the thing is that multiple Western publications say that Western officials pressure Ukraine to consider peace talks or change their stance. No, that's false. Like we spoke with really high rank officials and either they're lying to us even off rack, which I actually doubt, or Western officials understand that there's zero possibility for peace talks. What the West kind of tries to force Ukraine to have reasonably is have a plan to basically have a plan A, plan B, plan C for any possible outcome, right? Because, and that's actually a problem. Ukraine doesn't have a concrete plan of how to win this war. Ukraine has this peace formula of how it wants the war to end. Which is a little bit of a wishful thinking, at least at this particular moment, sadly. Yeah, it is. But something that Ukraine has to have, right? Absolutely. It has to have a plan of like how we envision this war to end, right? But there's zero plans of how we are going to get there, right? Ukraine always says that Ukraine wants to restore its territorial integrity. It wants to uh, people. return people and the territory that it rightfully owns, right? But there's no plan on how to do it, right? So Ukraine had a counteroffensive that didn't reach goals and, and that's it. And so there's no plan on how Ukraine will eventually take not only Melitopol and Genichinsk, but also Donetsk, uh, Crimea, right? So and that's something that a lot of Western officials want from Ukraine. And obviously, Ukraine needs to figure out what's the long-term solution, right? But also the security of future, you know, like best case scenario, Ukraine regains all those territories. 
we're still neighboring with Russia. Russia is not going anywhere. So how can it be ensured that there's not going to be future wars just continuously? Well, that's why Ukraine wants to be part of NATO, right? Yeah. That's that's why most Ukrainians, 80% of Ukrainians support joining NATO, because if Ukraine is in NATO, then the assumption is that Russia won't uh, invade again, right? Ukraine right now understands that before the war is over, it can't join NATO. And obviously that's not going to happen in the near future. So Ukraine right now is trying to sign security agreements with different countries. Recently, the first such contract was signed with the UK. It's pretty vague. And obviously it doesn't mean that Ukraine will be defended by British troops or, or something like that. But at least it kind of formalizes the agreement that Ukraine will always be supported by the UK in this war, meaning financially and uh, militarily in terms of weapons shipments, ammunition provision, and so on. And also that when this war ends and all wars end at some point, that Ukraine will already have, at least before Ukraine joins NATO, a security agreement with a pretty influential country. And that may persuade Russia not to relaunch its war or restart its war in the in the future, right? So that's something that Ukraine right now is aiming with most G7 countries. So those kind of agreements are not for today. They're for kind of they're part of the, the long-term strategy that Ukraine is trying to draw, right? But it's pretty early on to say if that will mean anything. So all conflicts, all wars have to end somehow, and they usually end through negotiation and potentially peaceful resolutions. But it really doesn't seem like Ukraine or Russia is nowhere near to be close to a point where they're ready to sit down and talk, where they're ready to actually have negotiation that would bring, if not peace, then at least break to this war. No, but Ukraine doesn't have an option, right? If you, the, the old saying goes that if... Russia stops fighting, then the war ends. If Ukraine stops fighting, then Ukraine ends, right? And unfortunately, we're at this stage. This war will end, obviously, at some point. I'm 100% sure it will end with a Ukraine victory and with Ukraine restoring its borders. But unfortunately... It's a matter of question when. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I don't see it happening anytime soon. So just to not finish on this lovely cheery note, do you have any hope for some good developments on this topic of peace and peace formula in the 2024? I mean, just beginning of the year. And the last meeting seemed hopeful because there was more people, more countries present. Like, do you have any hope of this kind of, you know, as you said, catching momentum and keep going and maybe China coming on board? No. The only thing I want to say is that it's, it's, really, it's really depressing from Eev and especially probably depressing for the actual front line when you see Western media. Uh, media and population discussing, well, Ukraine maybe should like up aiming for restoring its territorial integrity. Maybe Ukraine should stop attacking Russian planes and ships, then they're not going to bomb you. Yeah, that Ukraine has to rethink how it defends itself. And that's unfair. Ukraine will continue fighting with or, or without help. And the yeah, West, Ukraine doesn't have a choice. Yeah, and the West has to understand is that they're right now supporting a really, really good cause. And in the long run, when our grandchildren will read about this war in textbooks, if 
you, your country supported Ukraine, then you would be the good guys. And You'll be on the right side of history. That's something that people should aim at. Well, thank you. It was depressing, but really nice to have you here, Alexi. Thank you. You can find the show on YouTube and all audio platforms every Friday. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to like, comment, and rate us wherever you listen to this podcast. Also, subscribe to the Kiev Independent so you never miss a new episode. Please consider supporting us. You can do that by going to kievindependent.com membership and becoming a member of our community. Also, you can support us by going to Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok and following us there. Thank you for listening.